Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Amen. Well, thank you so much again for uh, being so responsive. No, I'm joking. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, those of you who uh, are serving. Uh, and today I want to talk to you. Um, this, is, this sermon is kind of in response to um, someone that asked me to say, hey, what do we really stand and believe as a church? You know, and I want to kind of kind of give an idea and uh, what we what we believe as as Christians, because I think City City on the Hill Bellevue, which is this church, is not just here for you know we just sort of decided one day that we're going to do this. We are part of the church as it spreads throughout the last two thousand years, right? Like the, the 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 church that started with Jesus and the the disciples, so on and so forth. So we're 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 part of a bigger picture, is what I'm saying. And I think a lot of times the enemy wants to destroy that picture. And um, I remember one particular story when I was working for Boeing, and I got this phone call in the morning. And that day, I was supposed to buy a car from the auction, because that's what you do if you're Russian. Uh, but like, I, I got a phone call, and I was supposed to pay about $7,000 uh, for this car, and I only had about $9,000 uh, $9, in my account. And I, I had to have this chunk of money right, go towards this car. And I got a phone call from my bank saying, hey, um... Uh, it, it's it's literally seven o'clock in the morning, right? And they call me and they're like, "Hey, um, we just want to check on you. I mean, I, ho- I we hope that we don't bother you, uh, but uh, did you just purchase a twenty-seven hundred dollar hot tub?" And I'm thinking, I live on the third floor at an apartment building. I don't need no hot tub. Like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, well, somebody just used your debit card to make a transaction for $2,700 on Amazon. And, and they're like, okay, well, obviously now we know that's not you, so we got to clean that up really quick. And I'm like, well, I really need the money that just left my account to be back in my account because I have to pay for this car. So to, to their credit, the bank was really quick to reply, really quick to do their work. They kind of canceled that transaction, somehow got the money back. And within like a couple hours, the money was back in my account. But the worry didn't really leave. I'm like, okay, if they have my, whoever did this, right? If they have my debit card, does that mean they have my social security number? Does that mean that they have my name? What else is there? So for months after that, it caused a bit of confusion, a bit of fear. And I constantly would check every single time. I'd check every single day almost. I'd check my balances and I'd check my credit report. Did anything show up? And if you've been a victim of identity theft, you know what I'm talking about. It, ca- it causes a certain level of confusion, right? You're like, okay, what else is, is, am I missing on? But imagine one morning you woke up and you have no remembrance of who you are or who, what your name is. Imagine if one morning you woke up and you like you have no idea what your previous day was like. Wouldn't that cause a lot of confusion? Because we need these things to be really constant in our lives to understand the world, right? We need to understand where we came from. Like, for example, who are our parents? And what, what kind of family we were born in? Because imagine this. Let's say I, you know, I wake up and I don't have any kind of memory of what happened before. And these two people claim to be my parents. And I'm like, hmm... Uh, dad, if you're my dad and mom, I love you and all that, but if you haven't noticed, I'm Caucasian white, and I'm 5'10 and a half, and sometimes I'm thinking 5'11, but that's what I am, right? Like, and you're both African-American. There's a little bit of an inconsistency in your story there. So unless I was adopted, like, imagine my, my dad said, oh yeah, but don't worry about that, it's fine. No, dad, you don't understand how this works. You, you can't claim this, there's an inconsistency here. 
So, so every single time we see an inconsistency in our history, or in our present moment, right? Like it causes confusion, it causes fear, and sometimes you get to a point where it's so much that you just feel like giving up at times. And I think what the enemy does a lot of times, he wants to attack where we came from, what we are here for, our purpose, so our origin, our purpose, and our future. He's constantly attacking all those three. He's constantly telling you, well, you, you're just made out of random chance, you know, some, something happened, and you're just molecules, so on and so forth. That's the message that's constantly preached from the culture, from every, everyone else. And God says, no, 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 you are created in my image. I am your father. I love you. I care for you. It's really extremely important that we would understand our, our origins, where we came from, and how we got here. Because how, if, if, if we don't understand what we, how we came here, we're going to misunderstand our purpose. If I'm just a random chance, made out of molecules and so on and so forth, then what's the purpose of life? Everything is just random. That destroys, but, but if, if you are created in God's image, and if you are created to have a relationship with Him, if you are created to have a relationship with other people, then perhaps this should tell you of your purpose, and that is to get back to developing that relationship with your ultimate Father, which is God Himself. And a lot of times we think when, we, when it comes to loving God, right? We, we read this, this, uh, this idea that Jesus wants us. Now, this, this is one passage, but there's different passages that kind of say the same idea. You're going to find one in Matthew, I think, chapter 22, and then in Deuteronomy. This idea that, you know, the Jews, they had the Ten Commandments, and then they had the, some 613 laws. And Jesus says, well, if you really want to obey the law, you have to do two things. You have to love the Lord your God with all that you have and the neighbor, uh, your, your neighbor as, as yourself. Those are the two things you have to do. And the thing is, is that a lot of times we, we lose sight of that. Because what? The enemy wants to destroy your identity. If you, um, I'm really trying carefully to tread on this subject. If you had an abusive father, that's a problem because you know the effect of that throughout your whole life. Fathers are, have a way of, of really... You know, I've, I've noticed, at least in my own experience, and this is not something that I've tested, so on and so forth, but in my own experience, I noticed that the girls that don't receive the love from the father, they will start looking for some guy, some man that's going to show them that. And if a guy doesn't get that love from the father and that af- like affirmative sort of, um, you know, <laughs> the father saying, you are a man, then, then that guy is going to r- raise up in insecurities. And either he's going to become a, a womanizer where he's going to try constantly to prove him to the world that he's a man, because he was never affirmed in that by the Father. So the enemy is constantly trying to destroy your relationship with your Father in heaven, because he understands if he can confuse you there, you'll, be, you'll spend your whole life being confused about where you came from, what's your purpose here, and where, where are you going? And a lot of times, we get a hold of one truth, and we take it, and we start to sort of kind of walk around us. For example, we are called to love God, not just in our strength, but also in our mind, in our heart, and in our soul. Right? So the way that this looks like, um, if you ever seen a kid, right, that's just starting to walk, they have this big head, right? And they're, they're trying to balance. They're, they're doing this, right? Like, 
Because this is the best way that I can explain. And this is what happens when you haven't developed your legs and this top is heavy. Uh, if you work out uh, and you go to the gym, there's always that one guy that bench presses 300 or 400 pounds. And he has a huge chest. But then you look at the legs and you're like, whoa, bro, there's two sticks. Now you could, now you could, you could and I know this is kind of funny, but, but the thing is that you could bench press 400 pounds, but because there's no core strength, because there, there's no strength in the legs, this guy's not going to withstand. He, he's not as strong as he thinks he is, is what I'm saying. Why? Because he's, what's this word, uh, he's not, um, he's not, he doesn't have symmetry. He's asymmetrical, if for the lack of a better term, right? Like he, he's big here, he's top heavy here, but there is no core strength here. And he's sort of like, you know, doing this. So a lot of times we go and we, we fill our head with theology and school and all that, but there's no love, a loving God with a heart. And you have a big head and you're walking around like, like this. Uh, you see this in a lot of kids that get out of some kind of theological school and they have a big head, but they don't know the Lord in the heart. They don't know the Lord in, in the soul. If you are serving here, some of you, you know, you come and you have these big, big muscles and you're like, oh, you need to move the stage. I got this, bro. I got this. And you worship God and you love God in your strength. If somebody says, oh, we got we to gotta move that sofa. You're like, oh, oh I, be, I better take off my shirt. Right? Like, like this idea that you constantly have to show, up, show off how, how, how strong you are. So, so you worship God and you love God in your strength, in your servants. But you come here and you set all this up, but you don't know the Lord in the heart. You don't, know, you don't worship Him in the mind. We have to do all those things. We can't just say, I'm going to worship God. If, for me, I tend to, to be like, uh, if I go to the gym, I always tend to have a tendency to work out my chest, but never the, the back. So I'm always walking out like this, <laughs> right? Because like, there's no balance to that. Like you have to work both sides. Right, so if I were to put this in a, in a sort of uh, a church perspective, is for me, I have a tendency to get big, big here, but not so big here. As a pastor, I learned how to love people here and to love God with my heart, but with my strength, and not so much. Right, so so we have to have all those things. You, you can't, and, and I've seen all the extremes. Right, oh, Slavic, you don't need to go to school. People, when they go to school. There's they're going to become atheists. Like, you don't need to go do, do any kind of seminary or university because you're going to become an atheist. No, 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 not so. Training the Word of God is important. And on the other hand, if you have, you know, if you're a professor, and, you know, I've seen professors, they're so big here, they know everything about the Bible, but they're atheists because they don't know them here. So, so you can't go to one extreme you know, and, you know, and if you, it depends what kind of person you happen to be. Like you, some of you and some of me included, right? You're all about like, if somebody talks something theological, you're like, oh, that's so good. Like, have you thought about this? But you'll never be in worship. You'll never, you'll never see yourself crying in front of the Lord. And some of you, uh, and me included, right? Like you, you might be coming to the altar and you're all about tears and all that. But you don't study the Bible. You don't, you don't, you don't, you're not, you're not worshiping God and you're not loving God with your, with your head. And some of you might have both and it's all about worshiping Jesus and, and preaching the gospel. But the moment someone asks you to serve in the house, the moment somebody asks you, hey, could you lend a hand? Cause we got to set up the stage. Oh, you don't understand how I'm a pastor here, bro. Like I don't do that kind of stuff. Chairs, <laughs> what are those? 
right? Like you have this idea that somehow, you know, it's beneath my office. And I remember when we started this church, me and Pastor Russell, Pastor Vasil was preaching, but we were on clogging women's, you know, toilets. And we're like, this is, this is pastor work right here. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so we have to do all of that. Because all of that, and, and it's ultimately to this, that we have to worship God with our soul, which is the complete. Our soul is not just our mind, our heart. Our soul is also our emotions, our motives. In everything, we worship the Lord. With everything that we have, we love Him. Uh, uh, St. Augustine said this, that the soul is so torn apart in a painful condition as long as it prefers the eternal because of its truth, but does not discard it because of its temporary, uh, does not discard because of the temporal, uh, uh, he, so what he's saying is this, because it's worded kind of big words in there. <laughs> what he's saying is that our soul does not discard eternity because we know it's true in our hearts. But then the stuff that's around is so familiar to us. And so we get so entangled in the money and the this and the that and the that because it's familiar to us and the eternity is kind of like not so familiar, but we know it's true. So, so our soul is constantly being torn apart. Um, Jesus himself said in Mark 37 says this, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? We have to worship God with everything. Not just our mind, not just our heart, not just our strength, but also our soul. Going back to Luke 10, 25 says this, and one day the expert of religious law asked Jesus to test him by asking, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? So what Jesus is saying here is, you know this. You know that the whole law of Moses, it's summarized in two. A theologian put it this way, if you want to be a Christian, all you have to do is to do two things. Love the Lord your God with everything that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself and do everything you want after that. And you're like, whoa, 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 do everything I want? Well, if you really loved the Lord with all that you have, your motives, your, your intentions, your heart will be redeemed and you will want what the Lord wants. You will want what the Lord wants. I'm not here to bring you 613 laws. I'm here to say, in all that we do, we worship Him. Now, I know that maybe if you're a Christian, you, this is new to you, and, and, and it's, it's really hard to sort of put a perspective, like, well, Slavik, the Bible is such a big book, and I have such a small time, and I just, I'm a new Christian. How do I, how do I make sure that I'm not heretical? How, how, how do I make sure that I don't preach heresy? Well, <laughs> C.S. Spurgeon said this, that the, the, the difference between truth and lies are not, or truth and heresy is not truth and lies, but truth and almost truths. Augustine said this, that in all things, I've, I've mentioned this before, we have to be in unity. In essentials, we have to be in unity. Now, how are you united in essentials? And what are the essentials? For example, when you... Um, you go to your house. Most of you probably have a big closet and you have a lot of clothes. But when you go on a trip, you don't take all that with you unless you're one of those people that has two suitcases <laughs> and, and two carry-on bags and nobody likes you on the, on the flight. But like, right? Like, you have a lot of clothes. But when you go, 
you just take a suitcase with your essentials. You take your underwear and your socks and your toothpaste and all those things that you need to survive for that week, right? Well, there are such a things, uh, such concepts and illustrations in, in the kind of the, the spiritual aspect of this. They're called creeds, okay? Creeds themselves are not, you know, so for, for example, um, creeds, they actually come from this word credo. For example, my, my language, when we say I believe, I say yo cred, right? Like, so a creed is a system of beliefs. We affirm a certain belief that Jesus is this and God is, is this and so on and so forth. So you don't have to go do all that research by yourself because you are part of this amazing community for the last 2,000 years. They've done that homework for you. And they came up with creeds and, and certain tools to give you. They're not, obviously, they're not like, oh, you don't look at a creed, that's the word of God. No, they point to the word of God. Think of the creed as, you know, the word of God being the sun and the creed being the moon. It's not really the sun. It doesn't really give light. It just reflects what the, what, what the, sun, uh, what the word of God is. It's a tool that we, we use in kind of the theological uh, realm and, 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 and understanding. So one of the one that I want to talk about today is something that's sort of accepted universally. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal. It doesn't matter if you're a Methodist or Lutheran or any kind of denomination. And I think if, you, I, said like, if I were to say Presbyterian and I said the word creed, you're like, yeah, you're so excited about that. Because there's a lot of like, these movements that they, they recite this in church a lot. So I want to mention this one creed. It's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, it doesn't mean that the apostles wrote it. It just means that the apostles in the church at large agreed that these are the essential. This is the suitcase that you need no matter what. And it starts like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Okay, we got to stop right there. The first statement of the creed is this, is that you are created by God, and you were created in His image. He is Almighty, and if you disagree on this, you're no longer a Christian. This is not up for debate, because if you don't believe that God has created you, then you don't have to walk the Christian walk. You don't have to get back to the garden, right? Like the, the idea of being with God and so on and so forth. All Christians, for the last 2,000 years, believed in this first line, that God is the ultimate creator, and God cares about you, and he loves you. And anyone or anything that says otherwise is from the enemy, and that's a lie. Next thing, I believe in Jesus Christ, who is his only son, not other sons, it's only son, right? Our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, why is that important? Why is it important to say that it's con- Jesus was conceived from the Holy Spirit and he was, he was born by a girl named Mary, who is a virgin? Why is virginity for that woman so important? You know why? Because if Jesus was born to someone that was not a virgin, that means it was not God. It was just a product, if I could use that word, of the flesh, or of the, of the sinful nature. For example, when you are born, 
if you, if you don't believe me, look at how selfish kids are, right? Like, you automatically know that there's a nature in you that pulls you towards evil. For Jesus to bring about your redemption, he had to be perfect and conceived outside of the sinful nature of human beings. So anybody that denies the virginity of Mary, or anyone that denies that the Holy Spirit is not the one who, you know, actually impregnated Mary, if I could use that word, and I'm sorry I'm using these words that maybe are not necessarily theologically correct, right? But like, but if it's not, if Jesus is not a son of God, then he can no longer buy back humanity because he would inherit that sinful nature. That's important. If somebody disagrees on that, I'm sorry, they're no longer a Christian. Now, I want to explain that. That doesn't mean that you stop being a Christian. I'm just saying that that's not a Christian view that people held over the last 2,000 years. This is what the church agreed on. It goes on to say this. Suffered, so meaning Jesus, under, the, uh, under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. Now, why is it important to include that paragraph? Because without Jesus, there is no Christianity. Without Jesus coming and taking our sin on our heart, uh, from our hearts and put, place it on himself, without him dying on the cross, our sin will never be atoned for, and you and me, we would still be in our sin. You and me, we would still be under the law. You and me, we would not have a future if Jesus didn't die. Now, why is, it, why is it important to say that he descended into the place of the dead? You know why? Because this points to the next thing, which is his resurrection. That he defeated death. This morning, as, as I was preparing for this, I came across, I think it's John 12, 9. Um, it says that when... They heard Lazarus was resurrected. They decided they're going to go kill Jesus. In the process, they also wanted to kill Lazarus. And you're like, I don't know about that. Uh, Lazarus was just dead. So, so, so your solution to this problem of him saying that I was erected from the dead is to kill him? Like, how do you, how do you threaten someone that was dead and knows the one that will let him out? Like, you kind of have a problem there. I'm going to kill you? Like, what do you mean you're going to kill me? I was just dead. That's not exactly a threat. When you start to believe this, what was being held for so many years, you understand that nothing can really threaten you. Going to India or going to somewhere where you might be threatening your life, it's like, really? That's your, your best threat? I remember Polycarp when he was brought before um, the, the before Caesar, and Caesar says, "You know, I have the power to release the wild beasts, and they can devour you right now, and I can burn you to death." <laughs> if all you have to say is just say that I'm I'm Lord, Caesar is Lord, and Polycarp looks at him and says, "86 years I served my Lord Jesus Christ, and He's never failed me. Do you think you're threatening me with some fire that only burns for a few seconds? Really, that's your threat?" 
To accept what Jesus has done on the cross in his resurrection is to say, you know what? There's a confidence that comes with that. And regardless of what happens, death has no longer a hold of me. No longer am I going to be subjected to what death dictates. Because every single day when you have a toothache or every single time you have a, a, a disease in your body, it's that death creeping up and saying, oh, you're not forever. And you're like, uh-huh, not really. I, I live forever. And it's like, I feel like a lot of times when, he, when I see Christians post on Facebook stuff like, oh, you only live once. Uh, wrong. Because you live forever. You might as well do it. Just enjoy life. Uh, wrong. I mean, because we believe in the next thing that we're going to talk about which is the resurrection of the body. You're not going to be some spirit floating on clouds and be like, we have this idea after death, whatever happens after death is sort of like this mystery, like, oh, I don't know what that's going to be like. Well, if you want to get a good idea what you're going to be after you die and you're resurrected, look at Jesus resurrected. He had a body. He was able to hug people and love them and care about them, so on and so forth. It's not like this idea that all oh, after you after you die, you're just sort of like in fl- floating on weird things. It's being more alive than you were ever known how to be. It's being more alive than you ever experienced. I look forward to actually learning music because I never was, I was never really good at it. I look forward to my body not aching and well, I'm like I'm getting old, <laughs> right? Like, like I look forward. To have a restored body. I look forward to, to knowing things that I've never known before and to get to know him, God, our creator, who created all things, who created galaxies and who created things like molecules and so on and so forth. That's something to be excited for. And that's what we stand for. The resurrection. Apostle Paul says this, if, if Christ hasn't resurrected, you're still dead in your sins. Go party and drink because the more you die. But that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is I counted all loss for the cause of knowing Christ. All this is rubbish in comparison to what I know him to be. So it's important. Those who, preachers who look at this and say stuff like, I don't know, Jesus is one way to the Lord. Uh, Would Jesus hold that view? Because he said, I am the truth. I mean, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. People that say stuff like, um, well, yeah, but Jesus was a good teacher. Yeah, they don't crucify good teachers. If that's all he was, either he was lying or he was right about this. You can't have it both ways. You can say that he was a good teacher, but then, oh yeah, the resurrection, he didn't do that. He, no, you, can, you have to take Jesus. So, so when we talk about who is really Jesus, well, surely he is who he says to be. That's a good definition that we should start with. Because uh, the, the, the difficulty that if we don't believe this part of the creed, what we find ourselves in is this, is that we created Jesus that we made up in our mind and we worship that Jesus who is not the true Jesus. Apostle Paul says this, if anyone preaches a different Jesus than the one you heard from us, don't listen. Don't listen to him because he's preaching a false gospel. You want to worship Jesus? Look at what he says to, about himself and start with the definition of who Jesus is, not the latest theologian and the latest speaker just because you love the way they speak. Oh, the Bible. 
when the things that have been held as true for the last 2,000 years. So Jesus being crucified, suffering under Pilate, being crucified, dying, descending into the dead place, and then kicking death in its teeth and exploding out of the grave. That's what gives us hope. And if we don't hold to that, then I don't know what we're doing here on Sunday morning. Our Christianity, if we don't hold to that, our Christianity is useless. Let's go, let's go on. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father and will, walk, will come again to judge, to judge the living and the dead. Did you know that Jesus will judge? Oh, but there's a verse that says, I didn't come to judge. But those who, well, the first time he came to save. The second time he's going to come to judge. I don't know how easier I can put it in a way that people can understand and people can take it as bittersweet. But, but all I'm saying is there's a judgment coming. And that could be cause for concern. Just saying. And anyone that does away with that is not speaking the gospel. All these preachers that talk about how, you know, like, you know, there's no such thing as hell. I'm sorry, like, I love you as a person, but you got to understand that's not what Jesus preached. Would Jesus hold that view? Jesus talked about hell a lot. Hell is a real place that was designed for the enemy and his demons. And anyone that sides with the enemy and the demons, he will come back. This modern movement that we have of erasing hell that's not what's been holding, you know, what true Christians have held through the last 2,000 years. Let's go on. I believe, this is the second part of the creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. If we don't, and, and I, I'm guilty of this thing, where you, you know how to relate to the Father, you know how to relate to the Son, because Jesus is a friend, is a Lord. You, you have all these things to sort of define that relationship. And the Father, you have your ways to define a relationship. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's just this idea. It's like, I, I have no idea. He's like a third cousin that I never knew. Like, like how, how do I, uh, what's the, who is the Holy Spirit? And I've, I, so many times I've, I've heard of people referring to the Holy Spirit as it. And I'm just like, I just cringe. The Holy Spirit is a person who lives inside of us and he can be grieved. I talked about this last time and this, this deserves a whole sermon. I think all of these things deserve whole sermons in themselves, right? But the Holy Spirit is a person and if you deny the work of the Holy Spirit, you're denying the whole work of Jesus and so on and so forth. So, so, so to be a church where the Holy Spirit is not active, it's not a church of Jesus. I believe we're in the communion, or the, the Holy Catholic Church. Ooh, that's a good one. The Holy Catholic, Slavic, uh, I don't, I'm not Catholic. No, that's not how it's meant in there. Catholic, the word Catholic means universal. We're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about the Catholic as, as the church universal. The church as it, uh, as it spreads through, through the last 2,000 years. And do you know that your brother was Apostle Paul? Do you know that there's so many saints that we have communion with, the communion of the saints? Do you know that what we do here is part of the church for the last 2,000 years? We are not. We, me and Pastor Yuri didn't wake up one morning like, hey, I think we should do like a church, you know, call it like, I don't know, the, 
the Yurian Pastor Slavic, Pastor, and Pastor Slavic's church. Like, it, this is not something that we just sort of put together. This stands in the tradition of all that. Oh, tradition is not a bad word, but Slavic, I hate tradition. Tradition is important. Oh, what do you mean it's important? You see, because tradition shows us a history of things that gone really right and really wrong. We can learn from all the movements that became heretical. We can learn from people such as Augustine, who, even though he's not a heretic, he's actually a saint, right? Like, like we can learn from people that came before us and tried things. You can go and try to do church on your own terms, but there's this, this vast tradition, of, of, of this rich history that we have, that we can go and see what was really wrong there's plenty of heretics in the church history. There's plenty of movements that got off the rails. We need to have a communion, not just with us ourselves, but we need to have a communion with Augustine and Luther. And we need to have a, a, a communion with Apostle Paul. And how do you do that? Read books. Read about their lives. I think if I can recommend two things for you, absolutely read the Bible. That probably should be your number one. And the next thing that I would say, they're not the same level for sure, but I would say if you're going to read any other book outside of the Bible, you should read Christian biographies. Because you will teach you things that you've, you'll challenge you, uh, challenge you on things that, that you've never challenged on. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the Catholic Church, or the Holy Catholic Church, meaning universal church at large. The communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins. If you come in church and you feel like, well, I kind of confess, but I don't know if you've got to forgive me. If we don't believe that God has forgiven us, then this, is, this whole thing is pointless. At some point, we have to take a hold of this truth. That we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And if you confess with your mouth, no matter what happened, if God can say, save people like John Newton, who traded some 20,000 slaves, like I've said before, and then became a preacher and wrote this amazing song that you sing today called Amazing Grace. Right? God can save any single person. We don't give up on people. God can restore some of the, 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 the worst lives. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And the last two lines, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Well, what happens if I get cremated? That's a tough one, right? Like, how do you answer that? Well, obviously, this means that God is going to resurrect. That, that's who you were. He's going to give you a new body. But we believe that when you will be resurrected, you will be like you are right now, minus the sin. Look at Jesus resurrected. He could go through walls, but somehow he was able to still hug people. And, you know, after he's resurrected, you know, uh, Thomas, he didn't really believe that Jesus actually resurrected. And Jesus said, look, my, the scars of, on my hands. It's not some floaty thing. And the last one is this. We believe in life after death. This is not only life. We believe in life everlasting. I love this amazing... Um, song that you probably have heard before and says this 
when engulfed by the terror of the temptress sea, on waves, uh, unknown waves before you roll, at the end of doubt and peril is eternity, though fear and conflict seize your soul. But just to think of stepping on a shore and finding a heaven, of touching a hand and finding God's, of breathing new air and finding celestial, of waking up in glory and finding a home. When surrounded by the blackness of the darkness night, oh, how lonely death could be. But at the end of this long tunnel is a shining light, for death is swallowed up in victory. What an amazing way of describing that. You know what? Right now you're going through fears. You're going through constantly your torn being apart. And I'm, I'm, I'm closing. I'm, I'm going to call you to prayer in a second here. But, but actually more, it's not a second for sure. It's not going to be a second. It's going to be a few minutes. Just, <laughs> just, just to be completely clear. Um, <laughs> what we see here is that we have this amazing poem where no matter what's happening in your life right now, we believe in the Savior that has redeemed us. We believe in the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and teaches us how to live every single day. We have a hope that we get to be resurrected with Christ and share in His glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We believe in life after death. Okay? And regardless how, what kind of painful situation you're going through, understand that you're part of something bigger here. It's not just coming to church and, and just kind of singing a song and hearing me preach. You're part of a bigger picture. And I want to read this one quote by, by a book by Chuck Colson. If you don't know who Chuck Colson is, don't worry about it. But he was a, he was a counselor to President Nixon. And he did, did some shady things and he, he ended up in jail. And the whole time he tried to prove to people that he's a great guy. And, and he became a Christian. And he wrote this book on, called On Loving God. And and he writes, writes this, uh, this passage in there. It says this, All of my achievements meant nothing in God's economy. No, the real legacy of my life was my biggest failure, that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation was being sent to prison. And that was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. Only when I lost everything, I thought made Chuck Colson a great guy, had I found the true self God intended me to be and the true purpose of my life. It is not what we do that matters, but what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God doesn't want our success. He wants us. He doesn't demand our achievements. He demands our obedience. Victory comes through defeat, healing through brokenness, finding self through losing self. In God's economy, things are different. Your success don't matter. So whatever you find yourself, if you find yourself in a season of brokenness, can I tell you that in Him, you, become a, you can become a victor again? Can I tell you that in Him, there's hope, regardless of what kind of father you had, regardless of what kind of path? If you get a hold of what we hold to be true together. If you get a hold of what the church held to be true together for the last 2,000 years, well, guess what? You're part of this community that has a past rooted in God creating you. Not that other people aren't, it's just you are aware of it. 
And there's a purpose for you in this church and this morning. There's a purpose. Last week we saw how two very famous people committed suicide. I don't think suicide, people commit suicide when they're not happy. I think people commit suicide when there's no more hope. There's nothing for them to go on. Regardless of where you find yourself, in hope, and in Christ we have hope. We have hope of sharing His glory, to be resurrected. So we don't have to live like the rest of the world. So I'm going to call you to prayer, and I'm going to ask you to stand up, but I hope this message spoke to you, and I hope that you take what the church has held as, and don't deviate from that. Those things are the essentials. Now, you should be studying the Bible every single day. But if you just get a hold of that, I think that's a good start. How do you make sure that you don't go into a heretical movement? Well, you get so familiar. How do you know, how do you know if a dollar is fake? You get so familiar with the dollar that's real that when you see a fake, you know from a mile away, right? So, so how do you know if you're a true Christian? But getting familiar with what Christianity is all about. And when someone claims to be a Christian, but they're not, you'll be able to spot that. When somebody preaches something that's not biblical, you'll be able to spot that on the spot. Oh, that rhymes kind of, right? Like, so I call you to prayer and I'm ask you, what is that area in your life? Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance and until next time, God bless you.